everybody, I'm Jeff, and this is Casual Chats in a Parallel Universe. My dad and I have been having daily conversations about family, history, life lessons, movies, news, music, and more. Now we are sharing these chats with you. So welcome to our podcast, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Yeah. Dad, welcome. Thanks for thanks for showing up today. I appreciate you. Uh, well, I it was a, it was a tough. Here. I had a meeting this morning on, that I had to do, and oh, glad we got that major we got that wrapped up. Was talking that a, to UK lawyers. Okay, all kinds of fun oh, stuff. Oh wow, was that in the car on the way here? It was. And was that for your your client? It is. Okay. Well, I mean, we could we could dive into that. We talked about. Oh, I can't dive into what I talked about. Well, not on the phone, right, obviously, but we can dive into your client. Um, We had talked about you, uh, your travels over abroad. Um, I don't want to give too much away to our audience. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, So, I mean, if you would, if you want to, if you want to kind of kick that off and I'll just. I I had always been interested in international uh, business, so to speak. I had been involved in international taxation pretty much since I graduated from law school. So, you know, certain, you know, it started out mostly just tax-related and doing tax planning for U.S. citizens that wanted to protect their assets abroad, and uh, which is a whole industry into itself, uh, how rich... U.S. people, rich, super rich, and ultra rich people. Would you say rich rent. or wealthy? I feel like wealthy. There, there's a well, there's I a th- different classification. I, I mean, in things that I listen to, there's a separation between people that like to call themselves rich yeah. and people that like to call themselves wealthy. Well, that's a good. That's a that's a very good point. I mean, millionaire used to mean something. Uh, a lot of people are millionaires today. If you just look at a balance sheet. Because of their houses, you know, their homes. If you just take the equity in your house and add that to your other assets, a lot of people have substantial net worth. I mean, substantial meaning more than a million dollars. When I was young in the 1960s, my goal was to become a millionaire. Wow. Incredible. Look at that. That is a goal. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, mm-mm, not so much. Um, so, to your point, I think it would be uh, people that have several millions of dollars and a multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire, and and not only that, but it's not you know just allocated to one asset, like one big house or something like that, where somebody. Like um, an ophthalmologist who generates in you know substantial income every year has managed to buy a house which has appreciated substantially in value. So now he's got an asset that's worth a lot of money, but that's it. Not a lot of planning you can do with that. So this is for somebody that's a multimillionaire that has multiple assets and is willing to spend money on professionals, lawyers, accountants, so forth, to, uh, one, protect those assets from creditors, you know, from people that can come after you, whether those are people you owe money to or potentially uh, somebody that has sued you and gotten a huge judgment against you, so you've been in an accident, or you could, theoretically, you could be involved in a large accident uh, where there were substantial money damages involved and and it could well exceed your insurance coverage. You know, a lot of people just have, just carry minimum insurance. So, wow, you know, you get a million dollar judgment against you, which you can easily have in a car wreck. Somebody gets hurt. Sure. All that. So you could end up with a million dollar judgment against you. And if, you're just a plain old person, they could take all your money, especially if you're not properly insured. And assets. So, 
If yeah, you they don't can have they the can money. go after. I mean, there's right. uh, you know there are some protections built in to the law, you know, for protecting your house, but not necessarily your other assets. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, concerns. So uh, when you get people, not necessarily ultra wealthy people, but just wealthy people that are concerned about those things. Um, and also they're concerned, some of these, uh, I forget what they call them. These are people that are worried, you know, the the country is going down the crapper and, you know, we're going into anarchy and all of a sudden, wow, you know, I there's no U.S. government or it's not a government you can trust. A doomsdayer to, yeah. to some extent. Yeah, those are also people that are worried about this kind of thing. So they want to protect their assets, whether whatever it is, there, there are all kinds of strategies and all kinds of professionals that are experts in this area. So back in the day, would you I, define yourself as such at this point in your career that you would you are an expert? No, I could, I could advise somebody, but I, 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 I am quick to tell people that, first of all, in this context of us sitting schmoozing on a, on a podcast, the answer is no, I am not an expert upon whom you can rely. Gotcha. However, uh, I don't do, take the advice that we're giving out today as, 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 as the a holy basis. grail, right? Right. Yes. As a basis to rely on that and then quickly go out and do something. Sure. No, you need to hire, uh, Licensed professionals. I am a licensed professional, but we're doing this as a right funzy. But you're not really available for hire right. these days. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, so what I do, especially for friends, is I will advise. You know, I'll kind of give them an overview, and then I'll refer them to somebody that is actively in the practice of asset protection slash tax planning. Gotcha. But uh, uh, going back to the original. Point. So when when I first got into this whole thing, I had taken some courses um, at different seminars and then had done some more research and had worked with other with experienced experts. Do you and, know roughly how old or what time oh, this period was back, this, this was? was back in the 70s. OK, this was back when I was first started, started practicing law and um I went to a symposium uh, in the Cayman Islands that was put on by the Cayman government, which at that time was promoting uh, these types of structures uh, in the Caymans because the Cayman Islands are a part of the British Commonwealth. So theoretically, they are a stable uh, British-based English common law country, which gives a lot of comfort. Because if you're a U.S. citizen, knowing that whatever structure you put together is based on a body of law that has been been there for a long, long time and is given credence throughout the world, that means something. Sure. That, that gives, again, gives you comfort because you can put one of these structures, you know, anywhere. You could put it in Vietnam. You could put it... Uh, Wherever you could right. put it in Russia, you could put it in China, you could, you know, whatever you whatever you pick, uh, but you you want to pick a jurisdiction that's stable uh, and that has uh, a legal system that can that's dependable, uh, that's not run by a despot, you know, like Kim Jong Un right. or uh, uh, Vladimir Putin that can grab assets anytime he he feels like it because the the legal system is basically a rubber stamp for him. So you don't want that. You right. want a system where you know that you're protected to the highest degree possible. So we went. To, I went to the Caymans, and uh, at that time there were some planning. There was still some tax planning possibilities, you know, where you could reduce your U.S. income tax bite. Uh, but mostly it was asset protection. So... Uh, you could put your assets, quote, offshore or put them into a structure, ownership structure that was protecting you 
in the event you had one of these horrible situations where there was a judgment creditor holding some large uh, debt. And, and also, it's, it's a, not to get too far off the beaten path, but when, when people, when a lawyer is looking to sue somebody on behalf of a client, the first thing that they do is they do an asset search. Because no matter what claim you've got, you know, if the claim is worth a million, two million, ten million, a hundred million dollars, if the person you're suing doesn't have any assets, or the assets that he he has are beyond your reach, you're not going to sue him. Or, or for the most part, it's a waste you're of time and money. Basically. It's a waste of time and money. So, by virtue of having the structure in place, you know, God forbid somebody's threatening you. Your lawyer simply tells the threatening lawyer, well, go for it, baby, because <laughs> you can get whatever whatever judgment you want, but you're never going to collect a dime. Right. Which means not just that you can tell the guy to kiss off, but you could get rid of the guy for a very small amount of money because you really you don't want to have a judgment against you on the public records right. as a businessman or anything a professional you don't want to you don't want somebody to do a judgment search on you and all of a sudden you got a bunch of judgments you want your preferences to keep your credit history your judgment history nice and clean and you do that by virtue of this, this planning structure and then you can negotiate a settlement uh, everybody's familiar from listening all, to all of the Trump uh, NDAs, you know, non-disclosure agreements. So you and you you basically enter into a settlement with this other person uh, that's confidential, and you pay him a small percentage of the big claim, right. and he goes away forever. Right. So it's it's a very it's it's an important um, part of should be an important part of the thought process for anybody that has any amount of money and not necessarily because you're going to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on experts to try to do something, but, you know, just go through that process. Just think about it. Make sure it's in your head when you're doing business. And as things change, you may decide, Hey, this is something I want to move to the front of my mind and and actually do something about it, right? As opposed to, oh yeah, that's interesting. So, and and what that can involve, it can involve all kinds of very complicated structures. Uh, can be using trusts. It can just be using offshore bank accounts. Uh, you know, simply because somebody. Your assets are in a jurisdiction maybe that it's difficult to even get at, you know. So all those things are part of the strategy. So I, that, that was one of the things that I, I uh, became involved in and became, you know, somewhat of an expert in. You still have to rely, even as a, quote, U.S. expert, you always are relying on other people because if you're, if you're doing – say, something in the Caymans or in the British Virgin Islands uh, or even uh, in Europe, you know, in Germany, or you're going to want to have an expert in that country. Sure. Because you need service providers in that country to help you form things and structure things. So it's, it ultimately involves the creation of a team. Well, and there's also intricacies in the laws of that specific country oh, yeah. that you may not know Absolutely. about. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, those are all things that that uh, are are part of the the process. So, in any event, I got I started, um, you know, talking to people about these things. I mean, just like you know, we've talked about you networking for your business, and the same thing was true for me. You know, I'd go to, you know. 
whatever meetings, get togethers. And, you know, you bring this up in conversation. You know, I'm, I just came back from the Caymans. Oh, really? What were you doing at the Caymans? Oh, we, you know, I was uh, at a symposium uh, on asset protection and uh, tax planning. Boy, everybody's interested in tax planning. So that gets, it lets you get into, you know, some of the stuff. And, you know, people get the understanding you're, that's what you do. So, right. Um, and I got a reputation for doing stuff like, you know, mainly to, that was my specialty was more tax planning than, and I think we've discussed this before, tax compliance uh, versus tax planning. So tax planning, structuring things, setting up companies and um, protecting uh, assets. And, and again, when you do that, it's not just you know trying to hide things or structure things that way. You also want to make sure your client's properly insured. Right. That's a huge part of any businessman uh, when he you know starts a company. He should be uh, putting a team together. There should be certainly lawyer. A tax lawyer would be great. Uh, and even if, if not a tax lawyer, if he can have an accountant uh, that is really an expert in taxation, in addition to being an accountant, then that would be a team member. And then the other uh, person or persons would be insurance people because you want, uh, certainly you want a property and casualty person. That's somebody that, you know, writes your automobile insurance and your general liability insurance. But you also want a life insurance guy because a life insurance guy, believe it or not, is also an integral part of your team. That's so you should have good lawyer, good tax professional, uh, certainly an accountant, uh, an insurance guy, both property casualty and a life insurance guy, because each of these guys bring a their specialty to bear on your particular situation, and then you put together this integrated plan, and that's basically what I did. You know, as I, I help people put together these plans. And then, you know, you get this group, this integrated group of professionals. So I had a guy, life insurance guy, who you knew very well. Right. Who, unfortunately, is no longer with, with us. But I had a life insurance guy. I had, a um, I had like, multiple CPAs that I worked with. And uh, I had a, a, prop, a couple of property and casualty guys that... Um, were part of my my group, and we would refer to each other. So if the property casualty guy had a client that needed some, he you know we we'd put together our team, and he'd refer that person into the team. So it was it was a nice nice uh, relationship structure sure. that allowed all of us to grow. So I did that for you know for several years and uh, made some trips to Europe. You know, um, both, you know, for business and then also your mother and I, you know, traveled in Europe and got to meet people and uh, got to know people. And so, uh, you know, that expanded my my client base as well. And uh, eventually uh, I got to be, you know, fairly adept at dealing with um, international People that were doing business, not just in the United States, but that were doing multinational businesses. So, and that led uh, to, uh, and this is, you know, over years, obviously, that uh, my practice built up. But uh, like in the mid uh, to late 1980s, uh, I started becoming involved uh, through a CPA uh, relationship of mine. He was representing a group of people in Jacksonville. So this was like after the collapse of Beefalo. Oh, yeah. And you had come back to Jacksonville and kind of built your practice back up. Yeah, I had a a firm. uh, It was myself and another tax lawyer formed a firm in Jacksonville. And um, we had a, you know, we had a good time. I mean, it was, it was a good relationship with him and 
Is and, his name is Jim? Is yeah, that right? Yeah. 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 And uh I mean we you know, we were good friends. We traveled together, you know, had fun together and uh and you know, practiced together. And our, our practices were more complimentary. He did I did uh the corporate stuff. I was more the corporate guy and business guy. Not that Jim wasn't a business guy, he was. Uh but his he loved estate planning. Uh, you know, doing wills and trusts and making sure you're uh, when you died, that your assets went where you wanted them to go. Right. And also, uh, there's a state tax in the U.S., so there was planning for that. And that was his specialty. Uh, I hated that. I never <laughs> I never liked it. Uh, I did it uh, mainly because it generated revenue, right. but I didn't like it. What I liked doing was putting together, you know, corporate structures and business relationships and contracts and that type of thing. This... this uh, Accountant friend of mine said he had a client that had some U.S. tax problems. They were, you know, they were doing uh, offshore business. This was in uh, mainly it was in Eastern Europe, uh, but there was a a component uh, of there was there was U.S. there was U.S. involvement, and then there was Eastern Europe involvement, uh, and so. When you're doing uh, business, uh, what they call cross-border business, the tax structure becomes very important because you can you can have a double tax situ situation, and you need to make sure that you know you're you're want wanting to minimize your taxes. So he, uh, Bill, my friend, uh, CPA, not the same Bill. No, no, before no. Bill, this Bill is a completely was, different guy. Bill was off the table. Right. That Bill, that Bill, that Bill, Buffalo Bill. And he was still alive. <laughs> Buffalo and, Bill and kicking, and uh, he was doing his own thing. Right, right. But I didn't have anything right. to do yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, just made, just you know, making sure our audience understands. Yeah, the yeah, different. Yeah. No, bill. no, the, Bill number one, <laughs> no. Bill number two, yes. Okay. Uh, bill number two actually was a, a great. Great guy, uh, a terrific accountant, a good tax guy, too. And uh, we had several clients uh, together that were very successful guys and did, did a lot of good business in any event. So good Bill, new Bill, whatever, uh, referred uh, this client uh, that was they – were, they were shipping – what they were doing was is they were shipping uh, – Products from the U.S., mainly frozen food, like frozen beef, frozen chicken, that type of thing. They were shipping that to basically to Russia because this time period is right after the Soviet Union had blown up. You know, it just it was falling apart and really there was no more Soviet Union. Right. What used to be the USSR. Had had no, dissolved no, right. no basically, and and what what had happened was is virtually all of the countries or the states, if you will, that made up uh, the USSR uh, declared independence, and when that happened, instead of just having this massive conglomerate, you ended up with you know East Germany was East Germany, right, and. Czechoslovakia was Czechoslovakia, or, or it broke apart into uh, different separate states. And and you had all these, you know, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, they all declared independence. their independence. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Russia was pretty much all that was left. All the, all the other uh, states had become their own independent countries, albeit a, several, a lot of them maintained uh, very close relationships with Russia. But they were independent. So, um, so Bill referred this this client, and he he asked me what I thought of the way things had been structured. And I looked at what they were doing, and there was a it was not it hadn't been set up correctly, and it was potentially there was a huge 
U.S. income tax liability because of the way the structure had been set up. And when I say huge, I'm talking about in the tens of millions of dollars. So we're talking about potential tax liability of you know, just a lot of money. Right. So I advised them that you know, something needed to be done. Uh, there, there was a strategy that we could put in place uh, that would obviate, you know, get around that problem. Uh, but there you know, would have to be some entity entities created and contracts entered into and change of business structure and logistics and all kinds of stuff. So you could reduce the tax or you could ultimately make it so that we the structured tax it, would go yeah, away. I, we structured it basically so there was no income tax because we the the entity that was really doing the sale or or creating the income was a um well it wasn't a Russian entity, but it was a Russian based business. Um and so because we could structure it as an offshore transaction, there wasn't any U.S. income tax mm. after the restructuring. So we saved, so the structure, our expertise, you know, the group, uh, saved them a lot of money. Right. And uh, so they were very impressed. And uh, as they should be. <laughs> it was nice that they were impressed. <laughs> so they, they paid me a big bonus for setting that up. And, um, and, and then they asked me to continue, you know, representing them, which I did for, oh, I think two or three years. Independently. As continuing, you know, in my law practice, I represented them for, I think, you know, like I say, two or three years. Right. After the initial, uh, structuring. And, um, they continue, you know, I continued to consult with them and, uh, you know, traveled to uh, Eastern Europe more than once. Right. And, you know, met with people. And, and this was a, a very large company. And so what we continued, you know, all, along that route. And finally, uh, they came to me and said, look, we want you to work for us full time. Oh, well, okay. And so the question was, what's that going to take? Right. And so I gave them a number and they said, fine. <laughs> You're I, like, damn it. I should have asked for that's more. That's exactly what I said to myself. <laughs> that's, that's one of those conversations you go back. Why did I say that number? Um, well, because that's where your self-worth was at at the time. Yeah. Well, it, it was a nice number and may, it was made for a comfortable situation. Sure. So, Did you consult mom on that number? <clears throat> well, I told mom about it. And right. mom said, that'll never happen. You know, mom, she always said, oh, it's impossible. You, you, know told, I, you told her you were like, I'm thinking about, they... We're like, what they is made, it going to take they, they to make this it happen? Offer. They made this offer, and you, well, no, but you were. They asked you, what, yeah, what the offer was. What, what, what would it take to make it happen? Right. And so, did you? Co you went back and consulted her and said, or you just said, this is how much I'm going to ask for from them. Oh like, no, I didn't discuss it with mom. The number, no, yeah, she would. Oh no, she wouldn't. I mean, it's not, not that mom's very smart, but she's. That's that the number is not in her wheelhouse. <laughs> she would that wouldn't be part of her expertise. Gotcha. Now, I trust I trust your mother's um, mom is instincts. is very yeah instincts. And she's very good at reading people. You know, uh, she's always been the person that has always cautioned me, you know, because sometimes I'll take a leap right. of faith. And maybe I, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But um, in any event, I don't know if that's that. You know, that's that women's intuition. I mean, Stacy's the same way. She's cautioned me several times. Yeah, I, I think it. Well, and she's think, been right. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, most of the well, time. mom's not been right a hundred percent. No, well, nobody's I mean, you can't bat a thousand. But, but you know, anytime you're you're making a major change, you know, in your life, it, it's. I think women are more. Um, Security conscious, and not just from a from being secure, but uh, on their own side. But they're looking at the family unit and saying, 
you know, does this make sense for everybody? Right. And uh, so she was, I think she, she looked at it more from that standpoint as opposed to me looking at it strictly from a business standpoint. So, yeah, we talked about it. And, uh, and she knew the parties well because I'd been representing them for a long time, well, right. for, for three years. We had been together socially. You know, the people had been together socially. We knew the families involved. And she was comfortable with them. Right. She, this wasn't like the Beefalo deal where she couldn't stand, you know, the other, my partner. But uh, so there, there was, this, this was not uh, me against the world, you know, me against everybody, including your mother. Right. Uh, she was, she was on board. Yeah. She was on board. And well, she, so I mean, but there were, there were different, I feel like different levels of people. So there was, I, I mean, I don't know how, you know. You well, know I was dealing strictly at that point. For the most part, I mean, my dealings were with with U.S. people, right? Because the business, as I mentioned to you, was there was a business in the U.S. and then, but the big business was in Russia, okay, and and not just Russia. I mean, this was they were doing business uh, in what what was called uh, the FSU, the former Soviet Union. So it might be a transaction in Ukraine. It might be a transaction in Russia, could, could be in Uzbekistan, could be Kazakhstan, could mm-hmm. be Turkmenistan. So j- just to give you a little history, when, when the, and I, I don't know whether this is going to be, people are going to really get into this, but when, when a, a country breaks up like that, the whole, everything breaks up. It's not just, you know, you have this whole situation where, where things just, the, the government changes, the monetary system changes, sure. the economy changes, everything changes. People are, you know, how am I going to make a living? Yeah. Um, if you're dealing all of a sudden now, maybe the ruble as a monetary instrument is no longer acceptable, maybe. Uh, maybe, you know, you can't, people don't want to take the ruble because they don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, it's not as simple as just announcing your independence and being right. like, oh, great, everything's... And, and what happened was was that um, in, in the former Soviet Union, really because of the monetary situation and the fact that people didn't have hard currency, meaning the ruble wasn't considered really hard currency. It wasn't... You couldn't really utilize it very well to buy things that were located somewhere else. So if your business involved buying raw materials from Germany, the U.S., Germany, right. whatever, you had to have hard currency to, to get that. Well, hard, what's hard currency in Germany? It's the Deutschmark. Right. Okay, so how do I, how do I get me some Deutschmarks? Well, I got to find somebody that's got Deutschmarks. And then I got to find something that that guy wants that I have that I can basically transfer Trade. to him. Yeah. So what what you ultimately had is you had a, a true barter-based economy. So people within Russia, in order to live, make a living, they were bartering things. So you might, you know, in Russia, um, let's say you might, buy a truckload of, or you might trade a truckload of chickens for some other commodity. Right. And with the goal of, you know, you might trade something four or five times, you know, you move from this commodity to that commodity to this commodity. And finally, you end up with a commodity that you can sell to a German guy for for Deutschmarks. Right. And that's what was happening. So you ended up with a barter-based economy. And what was what the uh, what our client, what this guy uh, in uh, Russia had uh, come up with is he had come up with utilizing frozen chicken and frozen beef from the U.S. because you know food is always in always in need. Oh so, yeah. 
Uh, he was doing frozen chicken, frozen beef, and and, and other foodstuffs, but mainly frozen chicken and frozen beef. We would he he took some money, hard currency dollars that he had, uh, and he bought a container load. You keep it simple. Keep he bought a container load of say frozen chicken, and we would that the U.S. people would put together that whole transaction. And that would be sold over to Russia. And then he would take that product and he would barter that product. And he might barter that product three or four times and ultimately turn that that container of frozen chicken into hard currency, hopefully U.S. dollars. Right. And by virtue of his trading ability, he made a profit because... Each time he would trade, he would trade up. He would trade for something that was worth something more. Sure. And then as you add that, I mean, I'm simplifying the situation, but as as you do that, you're, you're trading up. And eventually when you monetize that transaction and take that final step of obtaining hard currency, he would then turn around and reinvest those profits into the next transaction. Right. And so that went on and on, and they were making you know really nice money, you know, very good money. And so that's the that really, uh, and ultimately that morphed into a bigger and bigger and bigger business. Ultimately, and, and we'll save this for some other time, but uh, it 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 morphed into a an extremely large business, uh, a business that was at one point in its history was generating in excess it was it was generating revenue in the billions so it was making a it was generating a lot of revenue and it was generating you know, substantial profits wow so what a, what kind of time frame did it take to get from a to b to um, from i would say took from like, chicken to to <laughs> frozen chicken to the oh well, to, it, the, to it, the billions yeah i mean there were a lot of fits and starts it, it would it would even before the frozen chicken frozen beef there was other there were other transactions where they were trying to you know take uh, goods or stuff that had been produced in in the fsu the former soviet right. union I don't want to confuse FSU with, with Florida, Florida State, State, right? But the FSU was former Soviet Union, so there were all kinds of, in some instances, silly things. You know, like uh, uh, there was a shipment of uh, uh, what was it? Uh, sniper scopes, you know, night scopes, right? You know that you could, and not not these were these things, you know, where you could uh, go out at night and put it up to your eye, and all of a sudden. You know, you could like see infrared everything. kind of stuff. No, not infrared. It's a or like night an vision. accumulator. It, oh, okay. It, it's a wide aperture, so it soaks in all the. I got you. Even starlight can be enough to illuminate. Sure, sure. So that came in, and then the it, that didn't work because people said, "Well, what happens when it breaks? <laughs> can I get service on this? Right. Are parts or no? No. Yeah, this is a one. This is a one shot deal, baby. You, you know, you're buying it. Buying it at cut rate prices, right? So there were all kinds of stuff. There's just all kinds of of in some instances it was really funny stuff. wasn't so funny because they didn't make any money, but <laughs> uh, but funny from the standpoint of some of the products were kind of funny. Hey, you give it a shot. Right? That's you it. Take a shot. That's it. Luckily, I guess this individual had enough money that he could take a shot. Like no, that. It, it wasn't that. It was uh, the, you, don't forget they were in a lot of instances they might even get. Some of these this stuff on consignment ah. because the party that the ultimate party that you know provided this to our contact might have said, "Hey, you know, you've got some contacts in right. the U.S. See Can you, you sell goes, this? Right, right. Sure, we might be able to get rid of it." And he might have cut a deal if we can sell it. Then you know we'll participate in the profits, and if not, nothing's going to happen. Right. Uh, but in some cases, if he felt confident, uh, then he would buy it because he thought he could absolutely get rid of it. But in any event, that's it. It, it did ultimately, for a number, some things happened internationally, and all of a sudden, this 
major opportunity opened up for him. And he was able to take advantage of that opportunity. And he converted that opportunity into a a very, very large and profitable business. And that, and you asked, the, the question that, that you would ask is what was the time timeline? You know, I would say probably it started somewhere around, let's just say it started 19, 1990, just for the sake of argument. Sure. Um, keep it simple. And and it it probably took five years because there were, it just, it, it took a while because you're, you have to create the right relationships and, and everything. But ultimately, it was working. It was working extremely well. Yeah. And it was producing uh, a substantial amount of, of, of income. That actually seems to me like a relatively short amount of time, five years. Yeah. To, well, to turn around and, 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 you know, start. Well, the one thing that people big, people don't realize, that it was like when the, when the FSU opened up. Former Soviet Union. Former Soviet Union. When, when the FSU opened up, it was really like the wild, wild west. It, it was just, I mean, I don't know what the wild, wild west was. I read about it. Sure. But um, it, it was like the wild, wild west. I mean, there was virtually, the government really was not, it was there. But it wasn't really functioning. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when people reference the Wild West, they're referencing a lot of the lawlessness that existed, and basically, exactly, that's that's what was really. So what on. do you? So in a situation where you, you're dealing with a situation where you don't have the ability to enforce a contract illegally through through a court system of any kind, right? You're basically when when you know if people can um, think of a transaction where just two guys shake hands, which is the way most business is done these even today. You know when you hire somebody, even though they might draw up a a simple estimate, right? The real contract is just you're shaking hands, right? And, and you're 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 doing the transaction based on trust, really. Sure. How much do you trust this guy? Is he going to, you know, I'm going to ask him to put a roof on my house. Is he actually going to do it? Or is he going to take my deposit and leave? Right. And I'm, I'm just out the money. So because there's no, in our example, in the, the, the FSU, you're, there's nobody that's going to go after. At least nobody can't hire, you know, a lawyer. Right. You know, government's not going to help you. So who do you go to? Yeah. Mafia. That's who you go to. Um, that's the way things work. Because and so is that really the rise of the the real, I wouldn't say rise, but maybe the golden era, would you say? kind of? Because uh, well, there was always mafia. I don't think it was well, like Well, there was mafia here. It's, it's one of my, um, one of the most interesting guys I ever met uh, was a Hungarian businessman I met in in Moscow. And I was, you know, I had been listening to, uh, you know, reports in the U.S. Well, Russia's horrible and uh, mafia's, you know, horrible and people are dying and da-da-da-da-da. He said, listen, he said, have you ever looked at the history of the United States? I said, Sure. He said, can you think back to the 1920s and the 1930s? And I said, yeah, sure. He said, who was in control right. of a lot of the businesses and the unions? And who was running that? I said, mm, mafia? <laughs> he said, yes. <laughs> he said, anytime you have a country that's going through a period like this where where the government is simply not able uh, to protect businessmen, they have to rely on somebody. Right. And uh, so, so the mafia would, would get involved. I mean, that's just the way it was. Um, that's not to say that, I mean, there were industries that were the, where mafia involvement was rife. You know, it was, there was a lot of it. Uh, there was some where it wasn't. 
And uh, but you know, you had to be careful. You had to make sure you knew who you were dealing with. And so, in any event, they were dealing because of this barter-based economy. You know, you're dealing with God only knows who. Sure. And so you just had to protect yourself as 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 much as you could. Um, but so that's that's the way that business grew. And um we were, you know, my group, the US group, uh became part of that, you know, as as it grew into this, you know, huge multinational company. Um, you know, I was that's when I was offered, you know, this position was when it was, you know, going really good. Which was when, this, when was that? Like ninety that was around ninety-five? Yeah, this would have been ninety-four, ninety-five. Yeah. yeah. And uh that's when moms <laughs> I said, Well, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna well, this had actually had happened prior, but I had said uh told mom that I had this big new client. You know, and I was going to be traveling to Russia. And she said, oh, that's ridiculous. They're not going to pay for you to go to Russia. No <laughs> I love way. that that's the response. No it's way. It's not, I don't want you to go to Russia. It's it's because of what's going on there. It's more, they're not oh, going no, to pay for you she, to go. She didn't believe it. She, she just didn't believe it. Yeah. You know, why, why would this big Russian company, uh, you know, end up uh, dragging this, uh, uh, Jacksonville, you know, Jacksonville is not exactly a hotbed for, uh, you know, for monster international business. Right. Uh, you know, but you, they you, were attracting business. I mean, it oh, was, yeah. it was, oh, a, yeah. I, I mean, there I remember people. growing up there, it was always a business hub because there wasn't much really to do there. Oh, I mean, you know, back in the day, I mean, back in the day, there was, you know, as, as I think we discussed, it was a banking, uh, right. Jacksonville was a banking hub. Uh, but I'm just trying to give it a couple plugs because we've had some pushback on oh, yeah, how, we, yeah. we how did, we've denigrated. Some of our listeners, I said it was a, what did I, what did I call it? A hick town. A hick town, that's right. 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 It was, you know, that <laughs> probably that wasn't the correct term. Uh, but, I mean, there were, there were some incredibly uh, smart tax lawyers and and you know, guys that were more than capable right, of, sure. of doing sophisticated business transactions. I mean, listen. But I, anyway, I mean, yeah. we don't we don't need to get in that. But Jacksonville was, a, was a Jacksonville was a cool business place. There you, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's say that it was it was it was good. Sure, it was good. Um, but it, so mom was like, "There's no way mom was pay for you to come go to on. Russia." There's no way. And then all of a sudden, I was on my way over to Russia. <laughs> Did you come home and flash the? Plane tickets to her and be like, hey, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Look what they yeah, paid for. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they paid me the big bonus, I went like this. I went, see, see this check? They spread the and money went, out for. Her. You know, she gave me a little crossed eye deal. <laughs> oh, that's that was nice. Right. So um, so I became part of of I was basically uh like a US general counsel. So in dealing, especially anything related to U.S. taxation, uh, U.S. legal matters. And then because I was involved with uh, Russian, you know, with, with the Russian legal system, because the, even though the, the, uh, the, the government was not uh, functioning that well, it was still functioning. And in dealing with... Um, you know, licensing issues and, you know, just dealing with, with basic, a very basic business stuff. I mean, you still had to make sure you, you had paid for your licenses. And in a lot of cases, there was a lot of corruption, you know, in, within the government itself. But you still had to make sure you were dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Sure. So I would work with, you know, Russian counsel and, and uh, Ukrainian counsel or uh, whoever or German counsel for that matter. So we, I was, you know, working with a lot of of uh, uh, European lawyers, even as U.S. counsel, because I was part of the legal team for the company. Right. So and you had, now you had been brought. Now you are working for the company. Right. You are I'm no getting, longer. I'm getting a salary. You're no longer. You're you're you were done with your practice. You're yeah. You're like hey yeah. I left the practice to. 
Jim, he wasn't exactly ecstatic, but, <laughs> you know, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, opportunities come along and you have to, you know, make a decision. And that was, the but in, in any event. I think that people that don't understand that little sidebar, people that, because I've run up against it and I've seen it happen in my industry, that people that don't understand that I have an opportunity. Right. Because life is all about seizing your opportunities. Um, that people that don't, that aren't willing to see that for you are, are, are just some of the worst people in well, life. I, mean, I, I just thought, like, I, ha I had a friend who was a camera person on a show, and he got a fantastic opportunity to go work on a project. And it was a money bump, and it was something that he truly loved. And he went and told the director of a show, who was a good friend of his, that, hey, I have this opportunity, and I have to take it. And the director basically told him, you will never work for me again. Ever. If you go take this opportunity. And that that kind of scenario to me is, is you know, I mean, I understand losing an important cog of your business that I get that. But to go to such an extreme that you're willing to just, you know, Try to destroy. Uh, yeah, I try to destroy someone else's opportunity when you know you yourself would go take that opportunity. That that's, well, sometimes that's like I, you know. I, I I hear you, and I I I mean the pro. I, I think in some circumstances, the guy would make a threat like that. I mean, uh, it could be you know two levels. It could be the guy's just making the threat, right? Because he's hoping. That will dissuade the other person, but he really has no intention of following through, through on right, the threat. Right, right, yeah. And then you have the true asshole <laughs> that not only is making the threat, but is going to follow through yeah. and ruin the other, or not ruin him, but but hurt his standing in, in an industry. Well, just sever and that tie. Them. Sever that tie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not I mean, just maybe bad yeah, yeah, go forward yeah. and do something like yeah, that. Yeah, which is terrible. And and I've been, I know that. I've been through that myself. It's And I'm sure a lot of people have had those things. But I, I, I hear you, and I, you're an extremely empathetic person, and I think I'm empathetic. Uh, but, you know, that person's looking, you know, the guy that threat, that's making the threat is – Looking out for himself, sure. Period. Full stop. Yeah, uh, he's only looking at it from his own perspective, right. which I I got it. He's got a wife and maybe a wife and kids. To, he's got mouths to feed, and mm, but garbage. but you know, on the other end of the spectrum, nobody, no one person is capable of doing that thing you know there are other people right that he can hire yeah. that are just as good and maybe better mm. uh who knows but this guy is just pissed off because it's it's putting a kink in his whole system yeah so i hear you just, i i do hear you it's um and 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 that was i, I don't want to say that was the situation with with jim i think jim was jim just felt like you know we had a good thing going right and you know why are you doing this, man? It, it's just going to screw everything up. And <laughs> and uh, he was hurt. He was really hurt. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he won't even talk to me now. He's one of the. He's he's one. Of, he didn't try to. He didn't try to ruin me. Right. But he took it so personally. Oh wow. That it's uh it it it, it just affected. He's it, he's one of those people that if they're if they take an affront, it's. I don't want to say it's forever, right? But it's forever. He's holding the grudge. Yeah, he holds. He's a grudge holder, and huh. and there are, it's, that's not to say he's a bad person. Was it, it an just, abrupt situation? Was it something where it's like I got to go? It and was. Like he kind of left the yeah, left him holding the bag, kind of scenario. Well, he may have seen it that way. Right. I didn't see it that way because he had his practice, and uh, <clears throat> and you know my practice was was doing and we were a 50-50 partnership sure. but basically you know you're you can only be a 50-50 partnership for so long if you're not each pulling your weight right. and one guy is you know when the partnership is producing 75% of the of the revenue 
and the other guy's getting 50% of the net income. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, I mean, and you're not talking about just in one year, you're talking about over time. Sure. If there's an, an unequal uh, production of revenue, that 50-50 partnership isn't going to last for right. sooner or later. You know, the guy that's generating most of the revenue is saying, hey, this isn't, this, this ain't fair. Right. So uh, in any event, we just said, I, I said to him, look, I've got this offer. And I he had to be brain dead not to have seen, you know, th- something was coming because uh, this thing was generating a lot of revenue. And uh, this was, and, and it had, by the point just before uh, we, I made the decision to take the, the, uh, the position, it was generating 85% of my revenue. So, I mean, just to wrap it up, so you're saying this was 85% of your business that you were bringing in and it was quite lucrative. So you were, you, I mean, I could see why Jim would be upset because obviously if this was bringing in a lot of money and then you're going to kind of yeah, take yeah. it out of the business. Exactly. Exactly. That, that, right. w- that I can understand why. Well, why and they were, I, I think they were upset. looking at, they, when I say they, the company, my client, right. was looking at it from their standpoint. Because they were they they were paying me by the hour, you know, at quote retail hourly rates. Sure. And so they saw an opportunity of uh, reducing the the amount of money they were paying me because what they were what they offered me was salary plus bonuses. Right. And the bonuses were not, you know, it wasn't like a formula or something. It was, there are going to be, here's here are the bonuses we have paid previously. And so you can extrapolate on your own what you might what, participate in sure. in the future. But from their standpoint, they were saying, hey, look, this makes total sense. Uh, let's bring this guy on full time. He's certainly worth the number that I quoted them. Probably more, but that's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly more. He sold himself, but short. but 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 then I did get you know bonuses. substantial bonuses, sure. So, uh, but but at the time, at the time, what it what it was is you know when you're practicing law, you know each month, you know it's like any other business, like your business. Hey, I got to get my, you know, I got to get who's who's the revenue producer this month. Right. You know, I got to make sure I'm meeting my nut and I got to be out meeting new clients. I got to be da, 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 da. You got to keep time records, which I hated. I just hated keeping time records because you have to, you know, keep time slips. You know, what did you do? When did you do it? What did you do? You know, so that you could produce an invoice that showed all the detailed uh, hours you spent for a client. Right. So there was a lot of things. It 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 uh, got rid of the uncertainty of making sure I was going to make my nut every month. And at the same time, there was a future there that might produce a lot of money, you know, a, 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 you know, success for our family. So everything included, you know, when I looked at the entire situation, it was just, it, in my view, it was something I couldn't turn down. Uh, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. At least I thought so. It turned out it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me uh, and for the family. And and plus the fact that it uh, there was a lot of romance involved in it, too. Romance from the standpoint, you know, you're traveling internationally. I'm meeting with people I'd never meet with in a million years. You know, bankers uh, that... We're doing billion-dollar deals, financing structures, uh, you know, huge projects. Uh, just it was, it was exciting. I mean, man, there was there were a lot of lot of exciting stuff. So, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know the specifics, but I had a feeling based on what I had already experienced that this was going to be something really interesting. Well, I think our listeners are going to be interested to hear more oh, about it. Yeah, this so. will, this I, I can tell you that if I we get, really get into the weeds, this could go for at least five or six episodes, oh, if not more. Boy. Well, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>